Well, good morning again. Christmas is coming. Actually, we know that Christmas is coming if we go out to do a couple of errands on a Saturday, and it takes two or three hours to do so. That was my experience yesterday. So how wonderful it is to come and gather on Sunday where actually we feel that same energy and, and joy in being together, but praising God and lifting our voices as one to sing his praises. Actually, I thought, wouldn't that be an interesting experience to go out to the mall and ask people there if we could pray for them? Our scripture this morning is from Luke, actually carrying on right from where we were last week. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. And in the NIV Bible, the title, which is actually not part of the original text, but a helpful title, The Birth of Jesus Foretold. So Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. And I will read it for you. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now we want to carry on skipping over a little bit of the text and look at Mary's song in chapter 1, verse 46 through 56. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Lord, we pray that you would bless this word and that you would speak to us through it. In Jesus' name. Three weeks ago, we heard the 
prophet Isaiah say, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Last week, the priest Zechariah said the same thing in different words. The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness. Now the predicted event is coming closer and closer. The angel Gabriel is back. The divine spotlight shifts to Mary. And the prophecy is becoming ever clearer. For the first time we hear that the coming one will be called Jesus and that this Jesus will be called the Son of God. God's purposes continue to unfold. We see prophecy and fulfillment. We also see some interesting parallels in the stories of Isaiah, Zechariah, and Mary. All three had faith in God. Each one of them was concerned to obey and to honor the Lord. And all three of them had some kind of direct encounter with the Lord. At first, all three of them were overwhelmed with fear and awe at the holy presence of God. But God's first response to each one of them was to reassure them and to comfort them. And of course, the topic was this coming birth. And each one of them was transformed by the experience. Now, even though there were similarities, the Lord spoke very particularly into the lives of Isaiah, Zechariah, and Mary. Each one of them played a unique role in the unfolding of the Christmas story. And that means that their stories help us to understand God's purposes. Each one of them holds up a mirror to Jesus. Mary holds up the mirror in two ways. In her encounter with the angel Gabriel, and then in the song of praise that she says in response. In our Bibles, this is called Mary's Song. The traditional Latin name is the Magnificat. This morning, we're going to focus especially on Mary's song. But in order to lead up to it, we'll also look at the story. Well, to start with, who was Mary? Today, we know her as one of the most famous women in history. In the Catholic and Orthodox tradition, she is the most venerated woman of all time. But how strange then that the gospel doesn't tell us anything of Mary's background. It only tells us that she was a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And it tells us that Joseph was a descendant of King David. Now one striking thing that's not immediately apparent is that according to Jewish custom, a girl would be pledged for marriage when she was about 12 or 13 years old. So Mary is little more than a child when this event takes place. So, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's the wife of Zechariah, who we studied last week, God sent the angel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to the Virgin Mary, to this young girl. And I want to look at just three things that were said in this exchange between Mary and the angel. The first two were spoken by the angel. The third was Mary's response. The first word. The angel tells Mary, You have found favor with God. We know that Mary received God's word. She welcomed it like Zechariah. She received it as a personal blessing and also as a fulfillment of Israel's aspirations. But the angel's word reminds us that God's favor is a gift. Mary's son will be a gift. 
God brings Jesus into this world as a gift. Wouldn't it be wonderful to hear those words ourselves? The Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. I want to talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. For now, we see that the favor that was bestowed upon Mary is awesome. He will be called the Son of the Most High. His kingdom will never end. But like Zechariah, Mary struggles to believe. How will this be, since I am a virgin? For some reason, Gabriel doesn't chastise Mary in the way that he did Zechariah. Perhaps because Mary is still young. Perhaps because giving birth as a virgin is a pretty challenging idea. It's bewildering. Whatever the case, the angel explains. Mary will give birth by the Holy Spirit. Then he cites Elizabeth, who is now pregnant, as evidence of God's power to do this miracle. That leads to the second word that I want to highlight. For a word from God will never fail. Many people today don't have anything they really believe in. And that's so sad. Because if we don't have anything that we can really believe in, what is there in this life that we can really trust? And without trust, how can we have peace? Some people do believe, but they still can't trust. Did you know that Mary's story is also in the Quran, the Muslim Quran? Many of our Muslim friends in Indonesia would agree with the angel's statement. A word from God will never fail. But if we ask if they have assurance of God's favor, they can't say. They can't really say that they can trust him for their forgiveness and for their salvation. The angel tells Mary that God's word will never fail and that she has his favor. So she can trust in the good news. The third word I want to share with you is Mary's response. It's very simple. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary does trust in the Lord. Make no mistake, people will be whispering and staring and pointing fingers. The girl's pregnant. She's not married. Should she tell them what she saw, what the angel said? Can you... If she does, she can expect taunts and jeers and ridicule. Will you listen to the story that she's come up with? Can you imagine? Mary knew the names that they would throw at her. But she also knew who she was. I am the Lord's servant. Now let's hear her speak for herself in that song of praise. And if you like, I invite you to follow along in your Bible, starting at Luke chapter 1, verse 46. When my wife was pregnant with her first child, we had no idea of what it would be like to carry a baby. So we bought a book. The book was called What to Expect When You're Expecting. It was a great book. It became our guide as we went through the pregnancy. When I first thought to talk about Mary's song, I had it in my mind to think on the topic of expecting. We're in Advent. We're approaching Christmas, but not there yet. We're waiting for something wonderful that's been promised. And it seems so appropriate. Mary herself is expecting. But the problem is, when I read the text, I realize that Mary doesn't talk about expectations. Instead, she starts with an exclamation. 
Her exclamation is this, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It's an exclamation of joy and praise and celebration and thanksgiving. And she gives a reason for her exclamation. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. The angel said that Mary had found favor with God. And she knows this is true. So an exclamation, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary responds to the news of Jesus' birth and her role in it with praise and worship. The exclamation is followed by, for the rest of the song, what can be described in a single word, affirmation. Mary affirms what God has done. And that's the interesting thing for me. The baby's not born yet. None of Jesus' miracles have happened yet. We've not yet heard his teaching. None of the astonishing events surrounding his resurrection have taken place. And, of course, no one's even imagined the founding of the church. None of this has happened yet. Yet Mary affirms that God has done it. And she actually makes a series of affirmations, great affirmations. I want to share these with you. And as I did last week with Zechariah, I invite you to reflect with me as we hear Mary's voice. Can we make the same affirmations that she does? What does she have to teach us, this young girl who is favored by God? Can we experience God's favor in the way that she did? Her affirmation starts with a personal testimony. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Christmas can be an exciting time. Decorations, music, the hustle and bustle of the malls, food, gathering with friends and family. Actually, for some people, it can be one of the loneliest times of the year. But whether we're surrounded by people or isolated, we don't really experience Christmas until we experience it like Mary did, right here in the heart. Do you believe that Jesus was sent by God into the world for you? Do you feel it? Do you know it? God has done great things for me. If nothing else, I pray that each one of us would be able to affirm this this year. The rest of the song is a celebration of who the Lord is. One by one, Mary affirms the qualities that make her God, the God of Israel, worthy of praise. Mary affirms that God is merciful. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Singer-songwriter Don Moon has a line in one of his songs that says, We are desperate for your mercy. Mary affirms that God will be there for those who have this attitude. He'll be there if we acknowledge him and if we reach out to him. If we're not experiencing Christmas right here, could it be that we've forgotten our need for God's mercy? If we have, isn't this a good time to remember? Mary affirms that God is powerful. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. When we see some, 
of the depth and complexity of the world's economic and political and social problems, we wonder, is anyone able to sort it out? Mary affirms that God is able. He's shown it in the past, and he can be trusted for the things to come. I know there are lots of times when things seem out of control in the world and in our lives. But the angel himself affirms that God is still in control. A word from God will never fail. Can we trust in his power? Can we take God on his word? Mary affirms that God is just. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. My wife and I work among the urban poor in Jakarta. Several years ago, we had a research team go from community to community, 24 different communities throughout Jakarta, to find out what was happening in the poorest areas of Jakarta. And there were many fascinating things that we found. But one of the most striking quotes was from a man who said this to one of our research team. If you're rich, Jakarta is heaven. If you're poor, Jakarta is hell. That study enabled us to focus our ministry and to start it in one particular place. And the pilot project that we did was a, a clinic, a day clinic, in which we invite some 200 people to come who are sick, need to see a doctor, and to have that opportunity. When the clinic started, I walked off a little bit with a couple of friends in the area of the railway tracks where the poorest of the poor live. And as I was going to walk through, a man called to me and said, Hey, what are you doing? And I explained. I said, I'm at this clinic. You know, we're, we've got this clinic and people who are sick can come. Oh, he says, that's good. That's good. He says, the government doesn't care about us. We get sick and we die. The government doesn't care. Other people in Jakarta don't care. Contrast that with Jesus who said, The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to set the oppressed free. If God is just, do we share his heart to lift up the poor, the hurting, and the humble? Mary affirms that God is good. He has filled the hungry with good things. I believe that this address is one of the most fundamental questions of the human relationship with God. Is God good? Crime and violence and war, personal tragedy the voices that we hear around us, these things can cause us to doubt and even question God. Can we still affirm that God is good, that his creation is good, that he's good to me, that he will make it right? If we can, as Mary does, we have hope. And that leads us to her final affirmation. God is faithful. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. The announcement by the angel that Mary would give birth to the Son of God was the fulfillment of a promise, a promise that God would defeat sin and death. Mary affirms that we can hold on to that promise because God is faithful. Earlier I asked, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could hear God say to us that we have his favor? 
Actually, he's already said it. There's another part to that passage that I just read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor and to announce the year of the Lord's favor. Can we hear his voice? You have found favor with God. Are we living to seek his favor? Are we holding on to the promises of God? What is Advent? Yes, it's a time of expectation. But more than that, it's a time of affirmation. For affirming what God has already done in our lives and in the world. Perhaps for some of you, it's a time to receive him. Because you see, God comes to us in Christ. And as he does that, he also invites us to him in Christ. God has already done his part. Living and working in Indonesia, I've been struck by the contrast between the great religious events of Islam and those of the Christian faith. In Islam, the focus is what we have to do for God. Perform the fast during the month of Ramadan. Perform the sacrifice of Ido Adha. Make the pilgrimage to Mecca. But at Christmas and Easter, we celebrate what God has done for us. Why does Mary have this amazing testimony? Because God has already shown his mercy, his power, his justice, his goodness, and his faithfulness. And she affirms it. Some time ago, I flew into Toronto and saw some display ads at the airport. Lester B. Pearson International Airport. For you, for the world. That's a great slogan, but you know what? It's not original. Mary said it first. God is for me. He's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And God is for the world. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation, right up to our time. How about us? How do we approach Christmas? Certainly, we can approach it in expectation. But we can do more than that. We can approach it in affirmation. Affirmation that God in Jesus is for me. An affirmation that God in Jesus is for the whole world. Let's pray that it may 